It's the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and we're talking about the end of minicamp. Now the Steelers have broken camp. They'll be back for training camp when they go to St. Vincent College in Latrobe. But who were the biggest risers and fallers of minicamp and OTAs? We'll talk about that with Brian Batko, who covers the Pittsburgh Steelers with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And we'll be talking about some pirates with Andrew Destin. It's going to be a full episode on a Friday here in the North Shore Drive podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. Let's get into it. You are now listening to the North Shore Drive Podcast, a show on all things Pittsburgh sports from the writers of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, hosted by Christopher Carter. Hello and welcome to the North Shore Drive Podcast of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I'm your host, Chris Carter, joined today by Brian Backo, one of our Steam Steelers beat writers here at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. You can get all of our Pittsburgh Post-Gazette content at post-gazette.com. You can also check out all of our podcast content on your favorite podcasting apps and on YouTube. Like this video if you enjoy it. Subscribe to this channel to get all of our Monday, Wednesday, and Friday episodes of the North Shore Drive podcast, as well as our daily content that comes out from our all of our writers at the Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Brian, mini camp is over, which means you and I get get a chance to kind of kick back for a little bit and not have to go to the Steelers facility for for a few weeks. Well, for a while because the next time you'll be active with going to the Steelers, it'll be in St. Vincent College in Latrobe. But um, wanted to talk about what was could be gleaned from the past month or so of football in shorts as your Steelers mailbag uh, article uh, reads and talking about who were kind of the biggest beneficiaries, the biggest people that they kind of caught your eye, or at least were talked about the most uh, in the, in positive ways, as far as what they were able to show in not just minicamp, but the three weeks of OTAs before it as well. Yeah. I think we can always preface this with a few things, Chris. Number one, Steelers media policy uh, for reporters at these closed practices. So basically any practice that isn't training camp with fans in the stands, whether that's regular season or this time of year, mini camp, we can't just take notes and tell you everything that's going on and writing about it. Like it's a game. Um, You know, you can try to get some stuff confirmed with players. You can try to get some stuff confirmed by coaches, but I'll just be completely honest with you. I don't uh, walk up to a player after practice and say, did you catch a 20-yard pass (laughs) on this cornerback from this quarterback on an out route on third down? I mean, it's just just not really a uh, sustainable thing to do. So details will be a little bit sparse as far as that goes. But, you know, you and I were there for every session. We have opinions now that are informed by what we see. That's kind of the give and take and the trade-off of, the Steelers letting us watch all of this. So that's point number one. Point number two, it's spring football. It's OTAs. It's mini camp. Like you said, football in shorts. They're not wearing pads yet, so they're not really tackling. The tempo is not always full speed. It's naturally an environment, I think, in which the skill guys can stand out more. Um, you know, Yes, there's inside run drills at times, and you still practice that aspect of the game, but nobody's really going to stand out if you're a running back who breaks tackles or a D lineman who uh, collapses the pocket or a guard who's getting to the second level and pushing people around. It's just, it's difficult to do in this environment. So I think there's a tendency to highlight more of the guys who can, you know, make plays in seven on seven and and things of that nature. But uh, a couple guys who I I thought really 
you know, I, I won't say they opened my eyes because we've been around them before. We've seen what they can do uh, to, to certain extents, but I'll say they, they have my attention a little bit more uh, this okay. off season than they might have. Connor Hayward is, is one of them. Mm. I think the tight end group, you know, the, Mike Tomlin always says one guy's misfortune is another man's opportunity. Pat Fryermuth acknowledged earlier this week that he's dealing with something right now, but he, he expects he'll be ready for training camp. But uh, his tight end coach, Alfredo Roberts, told me the other day, too, that he's he's been slowed by something, so he's frustrated. He hasn't really been able to have you know a great June, if you will, however much that matters. So that helps out a guy like Connor Hayward, who you know everybody kind of was questioning going into last year, how much would he be able to help at his size? But he's so unique as a tight end because of his short area quickness, his hands, his reliability as a target, his chemistry with Kenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. I think this was a good building block for him to carve out a little bit more of a role for himself in year two. Another guy from his class, Chris, is Calvin Austin, who we saw it this time last year and in camp, the quickness, the speed. But then as his whole rookie year wiped out by an injury, I thought he uh, really acquitted himself well uh, in his recovery and just what we were able to see him do uh, this time of year. And a lot of players were kind of talking and, and buzzing about Calvin Austin here including Matt Canada, who doesn't usually say a lot, but did have some nice things to say about the second-year wideout on Wednesday. It, it, it makes you wonder, where does Calvin Austin stand in the pecking order of wide receivers? Because they went and signed Allen Robinson, and if this is an offense that's going to be running the ball a lot, you'd think that if you're a fourth wide receiver, how many targets can you really get in a year? And if you're, Or how many times can can someone get you the, get you the ball? Do you get the sense that Calvin Austin could be – maybe more of a priority in the Steelers' offense to just get in some playmaking positions maybe more often than your average fourth-string uh, wide receiver on the, on the roster? I think he's somebody whose impact could be felt um, in a way that goes beyond the, the box score and the stats. And what I mean by that is, number one, I mean, I think they're still trying to figure out how he can best help them. I mean, receivers coach Frisman Jackson was telling me on Wednesday that they're they're glad they don't play tomorrow because with him specifically, Calvin Austin – They've got to figure out the, the best role for him in this offense. And Calvin has said that too. I mean, is is he a slot guy all the time? Is he somebody who they can put on the outside and say, hey, run run as fast as you can with that 4-3 speed downfield and essentially be a decoy, clear things out? Um, I don't know. You know, we'll, we'll see. They didn't get a chance to see him in any game action last year, not even preseason, remember. So uh, they're working through that. But I, I think he could be a guy who, um, you know, he just gives you the chance to have some wrinkles in your offense, you know, whether that's taking a jet sweep and being a little bit more dangerous with it than a Steven Sims was a year ago in the offense. Is mm-hmm. it somebody who, you know, can catch a defense off guard because of his size, but uh, you know, he gets open, you know, his, his burst is kind of unparalleled by anybody on this team. That's, that's why they drafted him last year in the fourth round. And, and also beyond the offensive game you know is it's going to be interesting to see in the nfl in 2023 what impact kick returners can really have because of the new roles the fair catch um you know alterations there but i think you could see calvin austin in a return capacity at some point so they they're just uh it, it screams to me that they're itching to see more out of him and it was a lost season for him in 2022 he's doing everything right i don't get the sense chris that he's a guy who really fell behind because of that foot injury that kept him out of action. 
Certainly, but part of what you talked about was how he's going to be used in this offense. And Allen Robinson's coming in too, so I mean that's another right. uh, another mouth to feed on that side. Exactly, and how to how to feed those guys is going to be a big question to be answered by Matt Canada, who spoke this week, I believe, on Wednesday in in mini camp. We want to get your thoughts on that, and we'll talk a little bit about Matt Canada and what his role will be. Uh, we know his role, but what well, how this will year will play out for the offense, and what uh, what he said that might kind of. T- either tilt one way or the other about what his plan is for this upcoming season with a, a veteran version of Kenny Pickett and a, and a more weapons to work with on offense. All that and more here on the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post because that stick with us. We're going to keep going, things going here. But before we do that, I want to talk to you guys about our great sponsors at GameTime.co. GameTime.co is the place to go when you're buying tickets for your favorite events, even if it's up to the last minute. Game Time is an app that's fast and easy to use to help you buy tickets for your favorite events, whether it be sports, music, comedy, theater, any major event near you. Most likely, Game Time is going to have tickets on it. They give you killer deals, even on last-minute ticket deals, and they have a best price guarantee that just can't be beat, so you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have. The Game Time app allows you to book tickets up to the last minute. If you didn't plan that far out in advance, happens all the time. You may learn about a new act that's coming to town. You may realize that your schedule changed and something opened up. Well, this is where Game Time is an app for you that you can download right to your phone or go to their website, GameTime.co. They give you exclusive, exclusive flash deals on events for football games, basketball games, baseball games, concerts, comedy, theater, and much, much more. The Game Time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and same row for less at the same event somewhere else game time will credit you 110 percent of that difference snag the tickets without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and use code p-i-t-t pit all capital letters all one word uh for twenty dollars off your first purchase or go to their website gametime.co terms and conditions apply create an account and redeem code p-i-t-t pit for twenty dollars off download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed We're back here on the North Shore Drive podcast. Chris Carter with Brian Batko. Brian, let's talk about Matt Canada because he spoke on Wednesday. And, you know, Matt Canada's kind of been the guy who's taken, uh, taken a lot of the heat for the Steelers' offensive woes the last couple of years when he took over an offensive coordinator. And But now this year, you think about in 2021, he had, you know, the, the last year of Ben Roethlisberger, 2022, he had Mitch Trubisky and then rookie Kenny Pickett. 2023, though, He's going to have a second-year Kenny Pickett, an offensive line they've invested a lot more into, uh, veteran veteran players who have good experience on the team like Najee Harris, Pat Fryermuth, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, and then like like we were just talking about, you know, maybe guys like Calvin Austin and Allen Robinson who can who can uh, kind of boost your offense in different ways. What was the what was the vibe or the feeling that you got from hearing Matt Canada talk about? how things are going to operate this year. Is there going to be a new big plan or the way he seemed, the way he kind of sounds like sometimes it's going to be a lot similar to what we've seen before. And a lot of Steelers fans might be thinking, Oh no, that spells certain doom. To be honest with Matt Canada, when he does these interviews, I mean, <laughs> you, you hate to say this as somebody whose job is to go ask questions of, of players and coaches report back on what they say He's never given you much. I mean, that's just by de- I, it's by design. I don't think it's because he's stupid. I think he's savvy enough to know that he doesn't want to serve the outside interests in any way by giving a particular insight or intel on any topic. B, 
big picture wise. I mean, you ask him about a player, he'll make that player sound like the greatest uh, football athlete who's ever lived. So he he does that, but um, he just never says anything in these uh, interview settings, and and that's that's fine. That's his prerogative. We can still ask the questions we think people are wondering. We can't time down and force him to answer it. So I generally don't have a ton of takeaways from that from Matt Canada's lone interview session of the offseason. But I will say this much, Chris. I, I think if I could sense anything with him reading between the lines, get the feeling that if if the overall offensive structure and plan from the top that he mentioned that, you know, he mentioned the the top of the organization setting the agenda for him and what they want him to get done and try to execute. I think he feels they'll be better in the red zone this year. And, and to me, that's a that's an expectation that you should have, not just because of a second year quarterback, Kenny Pickett struggled in that area at times as a rookie, but I think with him taking the next step, that is a a place that he can be reasonably accept, expected to be tangibly better going from year one to year two. But beyond that, I think the, some of the pieces they've brought in this offseason certainly point to uh, having more success in the red zone. Darnell Washington is a guy that easily we could have mentioned in the first segment here as he's been really good uh, these last couple days, Wednesday and Thursday. Pat Fryermuth said that. I tried to get Darnell to kind of open up on that a little bit, but he's he's a humble guy who doesn't want right. to take too much himself either from just playing in shorts where – a safety really can't come up and crack you as a tight end. So it's a little bit easier to kind of go over somebody's head and make the contested catch when it's less contested. But for somebody who's, you know, the knock on him coming out of Georgia, and I'm sure part of the reason why he slipped to the third round in addition to injury concerns is just he wasn't asked to do a lot as a pass catcher. He didn't have much of a route tree. He wasn't a huge vertical field stretcher. Uh, with what the Bulldogs were doing. But, you know, you're you're seeing him, I think, hit the ground running at the NFL level. And will that translate to regular season ability to do that? I don't know. It's difficult for rookie tight ends. That's a position where you've got to learn so much. There's so many intricacies of it that are different than college. You've got so many responsibilities as a blocker in the run game, sometimes in the pass game, uh, to, to be a route runner. Yeah. But I think early returns are positive with him. And if nothing else, I would think in – in year one when he does get a chance to make an impact on the field, in addition to being that sixth lineman that he relishes, to give a Kenny Pickett a, another six-foot-seven red zone target, who I think is a little bit more of a natural pass catcher, a little bit more fluid athlete than Zach Gentry, that should help the entire cause when you when you get in tight in there. And I think that'll be another area where I'm really eager to see what Washington can do come training camp. The Steelers finished – with a red zone scoring percentage touchdown-wise as 51.92% on the year. That ranked 22nd in the NFL last year. Honestly, when I looked that up, when you said that, I was like, let me do a quick Google here on the show. Uh, when I looked that up, I was like, that it was that high? Like, yeah. I didn't it, – it was, it was that strong. And part of it was because, one, the the run game wasn't crushing people early, early part of the year. It definitely got better in the second half of the season. But, two, like you said, just throwing-wise, it wasn't as – you know, efficient as as we've seen the Steelers be on offense. And what could that look like is if they are that much better in the red zone? Uh, when you go back and you look at um, 
how they performed offensively just on the year and how and, and how much they scored uh per game you know i go back and i, I look at I, I look at that and i see like they ranked you know towards the bottom of the league 18.1 points per game but if they score you know one more field goal per game you know on an average uh, they would be right in the middle of the league, tied with teams like the Giants and the Patriots and the Falcons and the Packers, uh, and uh, even the Chargers, who are who are who are right right around there. But if they were able to put, say, a touchdown uh, on on the you know per game on the board more often this year, which I know that's a lot of a lot of points, but we're talking about a more advanced Kenny Pickett, an offensive line that's been invested in two more, an offense that's going to be a little bit more settled. If they were able to do that, and part of that coming from their better, re- a, re- a much better red zone percentage, you're putting yourself in the likes of like the, the the Vikings and the Bengals and the Niners, some of the better offenses in the league that averaged more like 26, 27 points per, per, per game. And I don't think that's something to sneeze at when you look at, you know, potentially what could make the Steelers much better this season if they were to simply just improve the red zone part of their offense. For sure. If you're not going to be a lot more explosive, and I question the Steelers' ability to be that on offense, number one, I mean, you don't really have a home run hitter at running back. That's right. that's not Najee Harris's calling card. Kenny Pickett's arm strength is never going to be on the same plane as a Josh Allen, a Pat Mahomes, a Justin Herbert. You know, the, the, the receiving group is basically the same as last year. And, you know, the guys you brought in, Allen Robinson, I mean, he's he's not a burner, certainly, at no. this point in his career. But, again, he's somebody else who I think can go get you a touchdown in, in the red zone or when you're in close. So that's my point. If, if you're not going to be hitting on these long pass plays, and, and what was it last year? I mean, it was well into the season. Their longest touchdown was still, what, 8, 10 yards uh, I forget the exact stat, but they they weren't they weren't striking from far out. Um, you know they've got to prove that they can do that consistently. If you can't, you better be sharp when you get in close. You better be able to finish off those long sustained drives, which they did show an ability to do because of that that second half resurgence in the run game. So you're right, Chris. It's it's not the kind of vast improvement that I think a lot of Steelers fans are seeing in their dreams with Kenny Pickett uncorking a 45-yard bomb to George Pickens for a score, but maybe you can just take those incremental steps and be better in a less sexy way offensively and improve on that efficiency when you get down there, when you get in close. Certainly you don't uh, want to shoot yourselves in the foot with you know mistiming uh, penalties. They've got to clean up a lot of that too. The, the moves they've made on the right. offensive line would have you believe that they can. Um, so, yeah, I mean, bringing in a guy like a Darnell Washington, uh, if you get inside the 10, having a healthy Pat Fryermuth, uh, assuming he will be, and, yeah, whether it's Allen Robinson, whether it's Deontay Johnson finding a way to score after going putting up a goose egg in, in 2022. And, you know, this is another point that has kind of been glossed over a little bit in the spring because George Pickens has, you know, he's been out there, hasn't always been working. Uh, if he's able to take that next step uh, in in his second year too, that's a lot of that's a lot of dudes that are going to be difficult to contend with for opposing defensive backs. The Steelers twenty they had fifty two red zone trips last year. Twenty seven of them were turned into touchdowns. I uh, wonder how many more they they could actually do this year to, to improve that type of percentage. And also, how many times can they get can they get down there? Because uh, just looking looking at that fifty two trips in the red zone was 
right in kind of the middle of the pack as far as how many times you got uh, teams got into the red zone um, in, in the NFL in the NFL last season. That's ahead of other teams that made the playoffs, like like the Miami Dolphins, like the New York Giants, um, and, and other and other teams like that. Um, and hey, you if know, you run I, it in too, I mean that that's fine. I, I always thought it was kind of overrated that you know people have been down on Kenny Pickett's uh, you know lack of passing touchdowns last year. To me, that that doesn't really matter so much if Najee Harris is is pounding it in. If you're handing it off to somebody on a jet sweep and doing it that yeah. way, that's as long as you score. Um, but certainly, you know, being able to do it more through the air would be helpful. And, and again, you know, Connor Hayward, I didn't even mention him. He's another guy who I think can be an asset in the red zone, especially with the bond he already has with Kenny Pickett. I hear you on that. We'll see how this how this continues to go. Now that not a mini camp is done, we'll have some more time to analyze and get you guys ready for training camp, which comes up in a little over a month's time at St. Vincent College. Brian Batko will be there along with our team, Jerry Dulac, Ray Fittipaldo, and even myself in a few days while I'm also balancing a pit training camp with Noah Hiles. All that and more here will be talked about on the North Shore Drive podcast over the next month. But don't go anywhere. We got to talk to Bucko to do that. We've got Andrew Destin who's, who's been who's been keeping a close eye on things with them while Jay. Jason Mackey is on the road getting ready to travel from Chicago to Milwaukee. We'll talk about all, all, all that in a minute here on the North Shore Drive Pick Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter. Stick with us. We'll be right back. We're back here in the North Shore Drive Podcast. Chris Carter, your host here. We're now joined by Andrew Destin one of our many talented writers at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Andrew is uh, backs of our man Jason Mackey on the Pirates beat, along with a lot of other things that Andrew does. But uh, the Pirates going through a bit of a rough stretch here. They they got swept by the Cubs in this in this past series. They lost 7-2 to uh, last night, uh, losing all three games. And in each of those games, that was the least amount of runs they gave up in all the three games. They, got, they lost 10-6 to on uh, Wednesday and 11-3 to on Tuesday. But somehow, somehow, despite losing three straight and four of their last five, they are still in first place in the NL Central because the Milwaukee Brewers, who the Pirates play next in Milwaukee for the next three games, they've lost six straight. And it seems like nobody wants to wants to run away with this division in uh, in June right now. And in June, you can't really tough to run away with the division. But still, this is a crazy situation. Before we get to the Brewers situation, Andrew, what did you see that was the problem in the Cubs series? It seemed like the pitching was just getting shelled from both the bullpen and the starters at times. Yeah, bullpen was getting shelled, and I'm going to direct my attention to the bullpen. Uh, you know, there are a couple of stats just rattle off here. Kudos to our man Jason Mackey on the scene in Chicago and now making his way up to Milwaukee. 28 runs allowed in the series. That was a season high. The bullpen allowed 18 earned runs in two days. Um, you know, you, you can put some blame on Johan Oviedo for his most recent start, four and a third, four run, for four runs. But he also mm-hmm. struck out eight. I mean, he had his stuff. You know, you can look at the starting pitcher and say, oh, well, you know, they're banged up in the rotation. As Valdo Bido had to get called up from AAA. I did not think he was the issue. I thought he showed good stuff and maybe demonstrated a little bit why he's kind of that uh, – uh, effectively wild pitcher who can get the job done, has good stuff, but maybe runs into command issues. The bigger issue here and what we need to talk about, Chris, is the bullpen and uh, how this group that's been so solid all year, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm developing a reputation for this in Pittsburgh, I think. Anytime I talk about anything that's going well for a team, it immediately goes to crap. So I, I'm taking the blame on this one. This one's all on me. <laughs> um, 
but but seriously, I mean, the bullpen issues, it's not just a performance. It's now you're going to be dealing with life without Colin Holderman for a little period of time here. I know he'd only pitched the twice, I think it was, in the last eight or nine days, something like that. Um, shelved now with an injury. Yeri De Los Santos is back up. Uh, Holderman was your eighth inning guy. He was getting that ball to David Bednar, who's been as good as any closer in baseball this year. Now without him, the composition of the bullpen changes a little bit. You're moving guys like Johan Ramirez and Dari Moretta into more consistent eighth inning roles, which, you know, that's no, you know, that's not my, me trying to slander either of them. It's just they've, no, been, I got you. they've been great in those sixth and seventh inning roles. Now you're pushing them a little bit further back. It changes everything up and it takes guys out of mid leverage to high leverage situations to now frequently being deployed in that manner. Um, this is an issue and we saw it being an issue the last two days. Uh, going into this Brewer series, that's got to be something that's a major concern is that, yeah, you're still good in the ninth inning, but how do you get the ball there? For the first two months, they were able to do it pretty effectively. Uh, definitely not the case in Chicago when they had leads. I mean, this isn't like they got curb stomped from the first through ninth inning of all three games. Um, they had leads in a couple of these games. They were competitive through four, competitive mm-hmm. through five. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly what the number was, but it felt like every fifth inning they were getting shelled each of these three games. Indeed, they were. Let's let let's flip here a little bit to looking forward. Here, they're playing a Brewers team that you know this. They're the Brewers are the kind of the reason why everyone's looking at the at, at the NL Central and saying like, man, this division is full of mid. Not just because the Cardinals are bad and the and the and the, the Cubs are bad. You know, the Reds. No, no one really expected the, a lot of the teams in the NL Central to do that well. But the Brewers are at least expected to kind of you know run the division and just be the team that you know they were the only competitive team there. But they're hanging right with the Pirates. They're thirty four and thirty four. The Pirates are thirty four and thirty three. So the Pirates are a half game up on them right now. And again, it's June. Things will probably change, you know, by by July, let alone August and September. But the Pirates now get to go to their place, to to Milwaukee, and play them for three straight games. And what you know, I think could be important games here at, to determine, you know, what's what's going on with this division. Um, what are the Brewers doing wrong right now? What is what are the biggest things that if the Pirates are going to beat the, this team, they have to kind of push them into their weaknesses? Well, I mean, the first thing you got to look at is that this is a starting rotation that has been on the whole banged up. I mean, you're still getting contributions from Corbin Burns, but I mean, let's just go through the list. Eric Lauer, he's been banged up and spent time on the injured list. Wade Miley, he's coming back to make a start on Saturday. I believe that'll be his first start in a few weeks. Um, Here's a name for baseball fans. Julio Tehran from the Atlanta Braves from way back when. Uh, Mm. He's now a starter. Uh, He's come back from the vanished world because the Brewers rotation has been that banged up. So I guess you could kind of point to it being somewhat similar issues or similar problems to what the Pirates have been dealing with. Um, The hitting has been light. That's not to say that it's been bad, but for the most part, it's not been what's carried the team. It's been the pitching staff, but the pitching staff has been not operating at full capacity. It's not been Mm -hmm. what it's been in previous seasons where it's the three headed monster or anything like that. So, um, this will be a really interesting series for me personally, just because I'm curious to see what happens with these two pitching staffs that are either operating banged up or operating with guys who have been pitching a lot recently. Um, one point to make though about the series, and you know, you never like to look at baseball too much um, in a vacuum or in a telephone booth, but uh, the Brewers were off Thursday and they were off Monday as well. They just had a two, quick two game set in Minneapolis that's as short of a road trip as you're going to get being a road trip besides, you know, the Cubs or the White Sox 
for the Brewers. So I would imagine they'll probably be a little bit more well-rested and getting Wade Miley back on Saturday, the lefty who you know has made a career for himself pitching in places like Arizona and now in Milwaukee. Um, this is an interesting series just from the standpoint of what kind of pitching contributions do you get from the Brewers? Because when they're on the Ray game, as Pirates fans know all too well, the last few years, that can be pretty dangerous and stifle a lot of bats. And uh, the Pirates bats haven't necessarily gotten quiet the last few days. But, I mean, you look at a guy like Miley, who's a lefty, will that neutralize a Jack Swinski? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, there, there's a lot to look at here that you go, wow, this could be a really interesting series. Or it could propel the Pirates to hanging on to first place, which still feels crazy to say, given that they're 34 and 33. But so goes life in the NL Central, I guess, right? No, yeah. I mean, you're you're totally on point there. This is this is so kind of wild to think because again, this Pirates team, they're kind of right where, maybe a little bit better, but they're kind of right where a lot of us talked about them being. You know, this is this was a team that they weren't going to be one of the worst teams in, in in all of baseball. They were at least going to be slightly competitive. No one picked them to be a playoff team here in Pittsburgh, but uh, maybe someone did. But uh, but but by by the way, by and large, when we all looked at this roster and what they what they were looked like going into opening day, it was like okay. Okay, this is a team that can maybe finish like a few games under 500 at the end of the year and like give you give fans a little bit more to root for. And they're kind of that right now. They're slightly above 500 right now through June. And if any Pirates fan had been told that back in April, they would have taken that. They would have said, absolutely, let, let, let's do that. And of course, before they went 26 in April. But um, I look at that and I say like, man, like the, this is this is the kind of pace that they're on. But if this is the pace that it takes to win the division, which is crazy considering that one point during their 2010s run, they won 98 games and couldn't win the division. Um, you know, th- that that would still be historic, however they get it done. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they how they've kind of pushed forward here. Uh, we talked the importance about the veteran leadership to help them not allow slumps to carry on for as long uh may was pretty rough but they've kind of they kind of stopped it a little bit the start of june but now you're starting you lost for the last five they kind of need to kind of get back to balancing their losses out with more wins here looking at specifically some of these games they got coming up against against the brewers you got hill on the mound uh tonight friday you got keller on the mound saturday and ortiz on sunday what are you looking for and what's your thoughts on how this series will play out andrew well, I think the Saturday game is the one that we look forward to the most, right? I mean, Keller right. against Wade Miley, that's one that's very much a winnable game for the Pirates, but also just a good pitching matchup. The first one, I believe, that's Corbin Burns going up against Rich Hill. Um, that's interesting. Burns, obviously, guy with plenty of accolades and has a lot on his resume. Um, and Sunday, Ortiz against Tehran. I mean, these are all winnable but easily losable games. I don't think any of them... And that's not to give a milk toast answer. That's to say that all three of these are going to be competitive ball games, de- de- uh, dependent on who's out there. Uh, you know, there's nothing that you pencil in immediately and say that's a loss or that's a win. And I think that's just kind of going with the overarching theme of the NL Central is that these Pirates can beat anybody, they can lose to anybody. And on that note, just a point I want to make is that you look at the standings right now. I mean, the Pirates, given all the success that they've had, given all the tribulations that other teams in the NL Central have had. The St. Louis, St. Louis Cardinals are 15 games below 500, and they are eight games back of first place. So I'm not putting the thought out there that the Cardinals are going to win the division or anything like that, given the way that they started. But, you know, I, I just look at series like this, and it's like if teams keep taking two out of three or splitting or going win two out of three this series, win one out of three the next series, 
Um, this is one that can kind of keep pace and keep teams in it for longer or allow teams that are hot, like the Cincinnati Reds, who I think have won either 10 of 12 or 10 of 13, something like that. This allows teams to get back into the hunt. Uh, or if you're the Brewers or you're the Pirates, you could make a really big statement here with a sweep. The Cubs certainly made a statement, but they're not in a team that's in a position to really, uh, you know, make statements that have or carry much meaning beyond, hey, we dominate the Pirates at home at Wrigley. Um, but you mentioned it, Chris. I mean, this is a house of horror for the Pirates heading up to Milwaukee. I'm very fascinated just to see. Um, Rich Hill has kind of been that stabilizing presence all season long for the mm. Pirates. Maybe not necessarily providing you eight innings of shutout ball, but he always seems to give you a great effort and help your bullpen out. Keller certainly drew back shades of what he's been all season in his most recent start uh, against the Mets. Um, and Ortiz has flashed, shown some good stuff. So um, this is certainly, if you were trying to line it up to have the three guys you feel most confident in right now, um, you maybe would change Ortiz for Oviedo, but otherwise Hill and Keller, Friday, Saturday, this is kind of like a, I kind of equate this to like a college baseball matchup where it's Ooh, like your, okay. Friday, your Friday and Saturday starters are, okay, let's have some fun Sunday. Let's lay it all out there. The Brewers are going with a guy who's been a little bit of a journeyman. The Pirates are going with a guy who started the year in AAA. Those aren't necessarily your best frontline guys, but uh, get out the popcorn for Friday and Saturday because I think these are going to be exciting matchups. Might be some pitching duels. We'll see, I guess, but uh, we'll, we'll We'll, we'll certainly <laughs> we'll certainly see it's going to it's going to be interesting either way how this plays out because the winner of this series will be the leader in the in the NL in the NL Central uh when it when all when uh when the, we get to we get to the, the start of next week here we'll talk about that on the Monday episode of the North Shore Drive podcast Andrew thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast we'll have you back on again very soon and we'll see you all after the weekend Steelers mini camp is over the Pirates are getting ready to to head to the second half of June here with some more important divisional games we'll talk a lot of more things Pittsburgh sports next week here in the North Shore Drive podcast remember you can find this show on your favorite podcasting app and on youtube like this video if you enjoyed it subscribe to this channel to get all of our monday wednesday friday episodes of this show but our daily content that comes out as well from the pittsburgh post because we had noah hiles my buddy on the pit beat talk to aiden fish the the uh the guy who was who was there for the past several years for, for the pit panthers uh about his experience in college basketball under jeff capel and what that was like go check out that interview it was a, it was a lot of fun uh listening to those guys chop it up but again we'll be back monday with more on the north shore drive podcast we'll see you then right here from from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the North Shore Drive podcast of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. If you're watching this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For six months of digital access to post-gazette.com for just $6, click the link down below in the description.